But we got kids here in the service if you haven't uh, figured that out yet. Um, and we've got a series I think that's really pertinent that speaks to both the young ones of us and the old ones of us. And these are stories that Jesus told and stories specifically that he told about finding what matters in life, finding what has worth and value and the worth and value that he sees in us and in each other. And really, I think in that, if we kind of seek what has value, what we should be losing, what, what doesn't have value. So uh, last week, we went through two parables, two stories that Jesus told. Maybe some of you guys can help me out. The first story we looked at last week was the lost sheep. Yeah, and the second story was the lost coin. So Jesus is talking. He's got this, this group of religious leaders, the Pharisees, and they're, they're kind of looking at Jesus. And Jesus has chosen to hang out with people who have made bad choices in their life, who other people might identify as sinners, as bad people. And these religious leaders, these Pharisees, are looking at Jesus going, Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you hanging out with these people? These people are bad. They're, they're wicked. Don't you know, if you even hang out with these people, it's going to make you look bad? And we see that, and we're like, oh, that's kind of mean. That's not right. But we do that a little bit ourselves, don't we? We, we kind of judge people by the associates that they hang out with, the people they hang out with. Like, I know we all really value and respect and honor Pastor Ron here, right? We, we think he's just so godly and so upstanding. But this week, a picture came out on the internet. And it's disturbing, <laughs> the associates that he runs with. What he's doing in this picture, I cannot fathom. Uh, but... I think he might be a supervillain that throws dirty plates at people, okay? Um, But but that's kind of what's going on, right? Is people are are starting to to attack Jesus. And if Jesus is God, and I believe he is, and we as a church, we believe that he is God, then if Jesus is hanging out with jacked up, sinful, evil people, then that means God is too. And so Jesus, instead of trying to defend himself, instead of going into like why he could be hanging out with people and not doing bad stuff, instead he tells stories. And he tells those two stories that you just mentioned, the lost sheep and the lost coin, talking about how God loves every person so much that even if he's got 99 more of us laying around, he's going to drop what he has to go find that one lost one. And he tells one more story in that series, and it kind of is the pinnacle of the story. It's the lost son. And it's kind of the highlight of these three stories. And since we got the kids in here, one of the things we wanted to do this week is give us parents a little bit of a taste of what these kids are taught on a weekly basis. And um, our children's ministry team does a really great job of coming up with curriculum that's funny and engaging and helps our kids connect with biblical truth, connect with the Bible in a unique way. So we're going to go through that today. So we're going to have a video. It's kind of silly and fun. And on the screens, we're going to have the scripture. So we're going to actually study God's word through this kind of means. So you can read and watch and do it all. All right, here we go. So if you know the story, and I assume a lot of us here do, the story goes on, right? And the son ends up spending his money. We're going to pick back up the story here in a little bit. But I want us just to focus on, on this part of the parable here. That here, Jesus tells of the son who does something so disgraceful, so disrespectful to his dad, that he would go to his dad and say, Dad, I want what's mine. Give it to me. And the dad, in his love and his grace, says, all right, son, here you go. And the son goes 
and he blows it. And as a result, he suffers and he ends up uh, losing everything, going to where he's eating uh, the food that is being fed or wants to eat the food being fed to pigs. He's at the lowest that he could possibly be. And as I was thinking about just this part of the story, just struck with the fact that, that there is a reality in our world that disobedient children that we suffer, right? We, we hear this, and there's a part of us that all kind of connect to this. And I think especially the Pharisees, when they heard Jesus telling this story, they would have been like, yeah, yeah, that's right. That son deserves to be in the pig pen. That, that son deserves to lose all of that because that's what happens when we make bad choices, bad things happen. And it's easy to see that in this story. This son who had a dad who obviously had enough money that he could give over half the inheritance really traded a lifetime of financial stability and love and support and community for wild living. And I, I said this in the first service, but if parents, you can explain to your kids what that means, okay? We won't uh, go into that here. But he, he blows it all. And yet that is what we all do when we sin, isn't it? That we take what is so good and we just, we blow it on things that are cheap and temporary. I saw some pictures online of kids. Actually, there's a whole bunch of kids that go to those giant claw machines, you know, that, that pull the stuffed animals out and they figure out, they're like, oh, I want the stuffed animals. So they crawl through that little trap door only to get stuck in the claw machine. This actually is a relatively common occurrence, I have discovered. And, and I think that poor little girl must be in that claw machine going, oh, no, this is so cool. I'm with all these toys, but now I'm stuck. And, and in reality, when we see this passage, when we look at our own lives, we realize that because of our sin, because of our brokenness, that we all suffer. And it wasn't even just the, the actions that this guy did. It wasn't just that every negative action has an equally negative reaction, right? Not just negative karma. Like, he spends everything he has, and you would think that he probably has some sort of education, some sort of skill set. He probably figured, okay, I'm going to blow all this money, then I'm going to go get a job, and I'm going to go to work. And what happened? The passage tells us that this massive famine rips through the land at the same time. And so he goes to find work, and nobody's hiring Everybody's just trying to hold on to their own. Everybody's just trying to hunker down and make ends meet. And so this guy's running around going, ah, I need, I need some, some work. I need a place to go. And there, there's nothing out there. And at this point, I think the, the story here, if Jesus was to end this story, it would be a nice little moral story to teach us how to obey better, right? We like those kind of stories. Did you know that like, all the nice little Disney stories that you kids like to watch. Do you know that those in the olden days had much scarier endings to them? You know, because you were here for service. Don't, don't be all smart with me. Huh? Okay. But like, I, <laughs> like the story of Pinocchio, I was reading on that this week. Did you know that in the actual story of Pinocchio, the first written version of it, that little puppet guy goes out to Pleasure Island with his new friends. Everything's going great until they betray him and end up nailing him to a tree. That's where that story ends. So the moral of that story is don't go to the carnival or you'll end up stuck on a tree, right? Or uh, no, it's don't hang out with bad people. And parents could tell that story to kids to convince kids to make good choices. Or the story of the Little Mermaid, which we know is pursue true love at all costs. In the actual story... She makes this deal with kind of the sea witch. She says, all right, I'll tell you what, I'll trade you a pair of legs for my voice and 
If I don't get the love of the prince, you know, you can turn me into sea foam. Well, at the end of the story, she turns into sea foam. The moral of that story is don't hang out with witches, right? Like these are, these are good lessons that we use to teach our kids. And I, I would assume that when Jesus got to this place in the story, that people would have kind of gone, okay, that's, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like, if you take advantage of your parents, if you make bad choices, really bad stuff is going to happen to you. And he gets to this place where the guy has made such bad decisions that he is actually in a pig pen, which would have been the worst possible place for somebody in that culture to be. That would have been the lowest of jobs, the most disrespectful. Now, one of the things uh, a lot of us have done is we've gone down to like northern Mexico and we've done summer camps for the kids, the orphans down in Mexico, right? And one of the jobs to do every week is to take the, the pig slop down and give it to the pigs. And I can tell you right now that pigs are nasty creatures. If you've ever seen pigs eat, like I like to eat pigs, but if I never had to feed another pig in my life, I would be okay with that. You know, like if you get your hand in there, I'm sure they would rip it right off. They're just, they're horrible creatures. And this guy is sitting there in the pig pen, looking at that food that these pigs are eating, going, man, I sure wish I had that. I sure wish that I had, you know, made better decisions or whatever. But the beauty of this story that that Jesus is telling is the story doesn't end here. It doesn't end. The final point of the story is not just disobedient children suffer. So if you've made bad choices in your life, you're screwed. You're going to spend the rest of your life in the pig pen. In fact, this story really is not just about the son. The story is about this father who, in the midst of his son's bad choices, in the midst of his son's dishonor, shows incredible love and incredible grace to his son. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to pick back up with the, the video and the certain the, or the um, the Bible passage. So let's go ahead and, and follow along with that. I can tell you that video gets no less corny the more times you see it. But what a picture we see here that Jesus tells us about the father in this story, a father that, that loves his kids so much that he embraces his, his son. And really that, that picture is an image of God about him being the perfect father. So I I don't want to lose our kids here. So if I can get some volunteers, we got a little competition here. You row, I better pick my daughter or I'll be in trouble tonight. Any other kids want to come help me out? Come on down. Okay, we got some judges here. So what we're going to do, we're going to have a little fun with this and we're going to try to figure out, because we're looking at fathers, what what makes a, a good one. And so we're going to look at some superheroes, okay? And we're going to figure out who would be the best superhero dad, okay? So you guys don't have to do it. All the grown-ups are going to be our ju- or are going to vote, and you guys are just kind of the judges to help me out, okay? We good? So let's go ahead. Let's see who our two contestants are. First up, we have Batman versus the Hulk. All right, so here's Batman. One of his positive traits is he would be a good financial provider, right? He would make sure you always had the coolest tool, toys, the downside of him is he's probably a little bit of a distant father. On the other side, you got Hulk over here who gives the best hugs, um, confident of that, and could give you piggyback rides for hours without getting tired. 
The only downside is you do not want to see him when he gets angry, okay? All right, so if you think that Hulk would be the best superhero father, give me like your Hulk crush sign. Uh, not you guys, the grown-ups. You wait up. And if you think it's Batman, you can give me one of these like cloaked, black cloaked things, okay? So on the count of three, one, two, three, go. All right, ooh, what are we thinking? What are we thinking? Who won? We're going we're gonna to do Batman, but strong showing a Hulk, huh? All right, Batman wins this round. Next round, here we go. All right, we got Spider-Man versus Superman. So Spider-Man, I think, would be a great photographer, would take great pictures of your childhood, right? He's also very smart, very intelligent. The downside of Spider-Man is he's probably a little bit young to be your daddy. Um, <laughs> and then we got Superman over there who is... Uh, super strong, always going to be able to keep an eye on you, even if you're behind closed doors, right? Always a good example. The downside is it's kind of hard to relate to him, right? He doesn't have a lot of flaws except for kryptonite. Okay, so let's so we can do Spider-Man, one of these things, Superman, maybe one of these things, all right? On your mark, wait, one, two, three, go. Wow. What, what do we think? Superman. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't see any Spider-Mans out there. All right. Okay. Amazing. This, you don't count, I guess. Uh, <laughs> all right. So here we go. This is exactly how it turned out last time. Spider-Man v. Superman. Uh, they made a movie after this sermon. Um, so here we go. I don't think we need to go through their traits again. If you think it's Batman, one of these, Superman, one of these. One, two, three, go. Wow. Superman wins it again. Let's give our volunteers a huge round of applause. Woo! Great job, guys. Thank you. I don't, I don't know. Sorry. Man, I'm going to get brushed up on my superhero stories here. Um, so here, it's just, it's just a silly game, right? Like, clearly, that's, that's not the point. But we see in this that this story of God the Father represented in here blows away even our wildest comparisons. Like we can't even fathom the grace and the love that, that this father seems to, to exhibit towards his son. So I want us to just take kind of a chunk of the time and talk about what does this teach us about who God is? What does this father kind of stand in as an illustration for who God is? And the first point we have is the father's house has room for all of his disobedient kids. I love this about the dad, that his son comes home and he embraces his son. He invites his son back into the house. He says, I'm glad you're home. Come home. He doesn't say, well, we don't really have room for you. You know, we turned your room into an exercise room. And, uh, you know, you can sleep out back with the, the, the workers here. No, he says, oh, my son is home. And he embraces his son. I, I think about this story. I imagine what that son was thinking. Imagine, just try to put yourself in the shoes of that, that guy. He's sitting there in the pig pen, having what must have been the worst day of his life. And he's embarrassed, he's ashamed, he's feeling guilt and all of that pain. And he's probably remembering back to his home. He's going, yeah, man, I remember back home, I had a, a roof over my head, I had a dad who loved me, a brother who used to give me noogies, you know, like I had, 
I had a home, I had a family, I had a community, I had people that knew me and cared about me and would stand up for me, and now here I am. He goes, man, maybe I'll go home, and maybe I'll just ask Dad if I could just work for him. I know I could never be his son again. I could never be good enough to be welcomed back into the family house. I would never eat from his table, but maybe, just maybe, he would just pay me to pull weeds or to mow the lawn or milk the cows or whatever Dad's got going on. So he gets up with this plan, and he, he starts walking back home. And he says he was in a distant country, so it's a long walk. He's got a lot of time to think about what he's going to say. So let's do this. Let's break into groups here, however you want to do it. Let's just make sure we include this, uh, kind of the lost children up front here. And um, what was going through the son's mind as he was heading home? Or what do you think might have been going through his mind on that, that long walk home to confront his dad? All right, Go. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not that hard to imagine, is it? I think a lot of us have made that walk before. We know what it feels like to walk back knowing we've deeply hurt somebody, that we've deeply offended somebody. Maybe it's even that we've deeply offended God, that we've done something that, that we're deeply ashamed of. And, and this son, he's walking home, and, and he gets close to the family home, and I imagine the anxiety is rising. He's just going, oh, what's dad going to say? Dad's going to be so mad. Is he even going to look at me? Will he even come down to talk to me? And he gets kind of to the driveway of the house, or at least I like to imagine it that way. And he's looking up the driveway of this house, and his dad spots him, and his dad starts running down the driveway. And I would imagine that son's first thoughts were, oh, I made a mistake, Oh, he's coming to get me. He's so mad. He's going to make sure I don't even step foot on this property. Is he going to punch me? Is he going to push me? Is he going to call me things? Is he going to disown me? What's going to happen? And as the dad gets closer, he sees that the dad isn't angry. In fact, the dad is overjoyed to see his son. And the dad grabs the son and he gives him this huge hug. Blows him away. Couldn't possibly have imagined that. What a beautiful picture that is, isn't it? I've got a three-year-old, and uh, she goes to Little Lamb over here, and I think a three-year-old is a, a good example of that kind of hug. When I pick her up from Little Lamb, it doesn't matter what she's doing. She could be playing with Play-Doh or the Legos or throwing sand in some kid's face, and I pick her up, and she drops it and runs at me with arms wide open, screaming, Daddy, Daddy, you're here, 
And it doesn't matter if we had a little argument on the way to Little Lamb or not. She is so overjoyed to see me. And that's the picture we see of this father. That he runs, that he throws his arms around his son, says, I am so glad to see you. I love you. You're home. My son that was lost has been found. It's a, a really awesome picture. And he, he doesn't even do that. He like grabs him and then gives him a big kiss on the cheek. Now, if my dad ever, we're not like a kissing family. If he ever kissed me on the cheek, that would be super weird. Like we hardly even hug. We just do like one of those, hey, it's good to see you. It's been three years or whatever. But, but this dad is just overjoyed that he is so excited to see his son. And I, I can imagine that as he's hugging his son, at some point, the son kind of pushes back a little bit from his father. And he gets ready to launch into this speech that he's been preparing mile after mile after mile. He goes, Dad, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And don't even let me be part of the family. Just let me work for you. Just give me a job. And one of the things that stood out to me is the father's response, that this father doesn't respond to that. Because the father is more concerned about relationships than excuses right? The dad doesn't want to bargain with his son. He doesn't want to work out a deal with his son. He doesn't want to kind of get some sort of probationary period worked out. He just wants full relationship with this kid. And I think about myself and somehow the, sometimes the way I approach God, right? I approach God saying, okay, God, I've screwed up. I've made some bad choices. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start reading my Bible and I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start doing good things and then we'll be cool, right, God? If I do these things, then, then is that okay? Does that kind of even the playing field a little bit? And, and what I hear in this text, what I see in this image is God saying, no, just come home. Just be in relationship with me. I love you. I care about you. And while the son is trying to set up his bargain, what's the dad doing? The dad's planning a party, Right? The dad's going, all right, what are we going to do? We got to get some clothes on you because that, that outfit of yours, that's worn out. We need to get you a nice new robe. You got no shoes on your feet. Let's get some shoes on those feet. Let's get a ring on your finger. Let's throw a party. Let's get all the neighbors. Let's get everybody around because I want people to see that you are home, that, that we are back in relationship with each other. I want to spend time with you. I want to hang out with you. And what a beautiful picture that is of God that loves us and wants relationship with us. Another thing that, that jumped out to me is how complete the Father's forgiveness is in this story. That our Father's forgiveness, that God's forgiveness for us is complete. That, that God loves us so much that he wants to completely embrace us and completely forgive us. And that's the picture we see of this son. This son has totally dishonored the family. He's totally taken advantage. He's probably put the family in a, in a financial challenge. And what's the first thing the father does when he comes home? Okay, get a ring for my son. Okay, I, I wear a wedding ring that has significance to me, but I don't have any other rings in my life. My father never gave me a ring growing up. In fact, my father's deathly afraid of rings. Um, he's an accountant, very dangerous job. He's afraid they'll get stuck in a copy machine, I think. Um, but in that day, having a ring... Um, was kind of like signing privileges for the family, right? That, that kind of showed your place in the family. So that would be like the son coming home and going, Dad, I know I've taken advantage of all of our money. I've wasted all of our money on stupid stuff. 
And the dad going, yeah, I know. Okay, let's get you on all of our accounts down at the bank. Let's get you a debit card in your name. Let, let's, you are now part of the family. I trust you. I, I, I give you that back. And what else does he do? Then he also takes a fatted calf and, and has it butchered for a party. That the dad wants to throw a party for this kid. Now, this guy, he's walking home. And I can imagine as he's walking through town, all the neighbors going, oh my goodness, what is he doing back in town? How dare he show his face in this town again? After what he did to his parents, his brother is going to kill him. That guy is terrible. And the father goes, no, we want to throw a party. And in that, we can assume that all the neighbors, the relatives, the aunties and the uncles, all the people were invited to that so that they could see that that relationship was restored, that that son was forgiven. Now, kids, how many of you have ever had a party thrown in your name? Maybe it's your birthday party. Maybe it's a graduation party, uh, something like that. Yeah. I think most of us have, hopefully. Uh, And did you know that your parents did that because they love you? that they want you to be valued, they want you to be esteemed, they want your friends and your family to see how awesome they think you are. And that's exactly what the father is doing here. He wants the entire town to know that his son is home, his son is forgiven, that he loves his son. So I could imagine being that son, the dad's like, all right, go up to your old room, get a shower, get cleaned up a little bit, put on these new clothes I just gave you, and then come down. And you're coming down, and you're hearing the music pumping out of the tent. The GJ's going crazy. All your old friends and, like, Sunday school teachers are showing up. And you realize that that party is in your name. What an awesome God we worship. And I think as we listen to this story, if we're a follower of Jesus, to realize that this is our story that this is God's heart for us, that this is the way God views you and I, that he loves us so much that he wants to spend time with us, he wants to hang out with us, that he wants to forgive us, he wants to embrace us in relationship, and he has done that. And maybe if you're here and you're kind of exploring the Christian faith still and you're not sure and you've seen so much that seems judgmental and maybe that seems distant and you're not sure you can embrace the Christian faith. I encourage you to see this image of God. I think it's an image that we see throughout the Bible, a God that loves his children, that loves his creation, that longs to be in relationship with us. It's a beautiful picture, and he longs for us to come home. So as we think about this story, um, there's three kind of characters. One we've talked about quite a bit, it's the father. We've talked about the, the younger son a little bit, and there's this older son. And if you know the story, the older son's a little bit ticked off, right? He hears the dance party going on, and he's going, wait a second. What? That kid? Yeah, what? That's like that video. Okay. Uh, we're throwing a party for that guy? That guy's scum. Why are we even calling part of our family anymore? Look what he did. And you're killing the fatted calf? That fatted calf's going to turn into a fatted cow, and someday that cow is going to be mine. What are you doing? How dare you do that? And I was thinking about this, and I think that the response for both of these kids is the same. And the lesson we can actually learn from both of them is the same. What the father wanted from both of those sons is to come down and join the party, to come celebrate, to be a part of that community, to be a part 
of that relationship. And I think that really is the application for all of us. If we believe that God is the God portrayed in this story, a God who is loving, a God who is forgiving, a God who has room for us in his house that is calling us home, are we gonna be people that embrace that relationship, that get excited when other people embrace that relationship? That when we see people that we might deem as sinners or bad or evil, when we see them find forgiveness, do we celebrate? Do we get excited about that? Or do we say, I'll kick it on the dance floor with you, God, but not if that person's on the floor. No, I got to keep my distance. And the, the message, I think, is the same for all of us, is celebrate what God's doing. Celebrate what he's doing in our life and celebrate what he's doing in each other's lives. So as we close, we're going to just take a time of, of prayer. And I think I encourage us all to make this a time of worship, of celebration, of thanking God for being this God that loves us and forgives us and embraces us. So let's go ahead and, and pray. God, you are a good father, a father who loves us. You're a good parent that embraces us, that forgives us. We don't deserve your forgiveness. Um, I don't deserve your forgiveness. The things I've done, the things I've said have been so hurtful to other people and to you. I thank you that you have forgiven me. I thank you that you have chosen to have a relationship with me, even though I don't deserve it. I pray that we are a church that is loving, that embraces your character, that finds forgiveness and restoration with each other, that celebrates what you're doing in our world, that, that gets excited when even the most broken of us finds you. That, um, so God, we just thank you. We thank you for your healing. We thank you for the work that you continue to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.